So what Paul does in, in the verses we're going to look at tonight, he says two things that God does when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ. This is what God did for us when we gave our life to Christ. First of all, he says, we receive divine mercy. Verse four, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. This verse, first of all, teaches that God alone is the author of salvation, but God. We can't save ourselves. The church can't save us. Mom and daddy can't save us. The government can't save us. Spiritually, the only one who can save us from the reality of being lost and separated from God is God himself. But God, only God can save us. It was God who pursued us in our lostness and drew us to ourself. The Bible says that none seeketh after God. No, not one. In other words... Left on our own, we would have never sought God. The only reason why you ever sought God in your life is because God was seeking you. The only reason why you ever reached out to God in your life is because God was reaching out to you. There's none that seeketh after God. Left on our own, we'd never look for God. We sought God because God was seeking us. It was God who opened our minds and our hearts to the reality that we were desperately lost. It was God who gave us an understanding of the truth of the gospel. It was God who granted us repentance and the faith to believe. It was God who saved us when we called upon him. It was God who changed our life by his mighty saving power. From start to finish, Salvation is totally and completely a work of God. But God, we've been saved out of that terrible situation by God's grace and God's power and God's mercy. From start to finish, salvation is totally and completely a work of God. None of us have ever done anything whatsoever to earn, deserve, or contribute to our salvation. It is all of God. Ain't God good? Amen. Psalm 3, 8, Jonah 2, 9 says, Salvation is of the Lord. Revelation 7, 10, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so, Ephesians 2, 4 teaches us that God is the author of our salvation. Second of all, this verse teaches that our salvation is solely based on God's rich mercy and his great love. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. The mercy of God speaks of his compassion, of his pity for lost and helpless sinners. God took pity on us. He had compassion on us. He saw our lost estate. He saw our lost condition. Now God could have turned his back on us. We're sinners. We were in rebellion against him. God could have turned his back on us. But God had mercy on us. 
God gave us grace. Mercy is God withholding what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. We're saved by God's mercy and grace. We're saved because God withholds from us the hell we deserve. And he, by his grace, he gives us the salvation that we don't deserve. Now, God could have turned his back on us. But God had mercy on us. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? He saw how lost we were. He saw how hopeless we were. He saw how helpless we were to save ourselves, to deliver ourselves. But then God, out of his rich mercy and great love, he did what was necessary to save us. He sent his only begotten son into the world to make our salvation possible. We're saved by his rich mercy. We're saved by his great love. The word great is an interesting word. It means overabundance. It means overflowing. God has rich mercy and great love. And it's because of that rich mercy and that great love that he did what he did to make it possible that we might be saved from the penalty of our sin which is eternal separation from God. In spite of our sin and rebellion, God still loved us. (laughs) We were not lovable. There was nothing in us that would make us, you know, in our own selves, lovable before God. God doesn't love us because we're worthy of his love. God loves us because he is love. Even when we were unlovely, utterly undeserving of his love, God still loved us and he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross to save us from our sins. Ephesians, or rather Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? So what happens when you give your life to Christ? You receive mercy and you receive grace and you receive love. That's why we're saved. Now don't ever think you did anything to make yourself worthy of salvation. We are not saved because we who we are. We're saved in spite of who we are by God's goodness and grace. And so Paul says, this is your condition. This is who you are. This is the reality of your lostness. There's nothing you can do about it. You're hopeless. You're helpless. You can't do a thing about your lost estate. Nothing that you can do but God. But God did something. But God intervened. But God acted. And out of his rich mercy and out of his great love, he has loved us and he has provided for us that which made it possible that we might be saved. And that which makes our salvation possible is the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners like us. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what God has done. That's why we need to sing of his mercy and sing of his grace. That's why we need to love him each and every day because we have been the recipients of his great love. Not only that, 
Also, when we gave our life to Christ, he resurrected us to a new life, verses five and six. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These verses say three things that God does for the believer in Christ. He makes us spiritually alive. He raises us to new life. And he exalts us to be with Christ. First of all, he makes us alive. When a person believes in Christ, something remarkable happens. Something dramatic happens. By his power, God literally makes the dead believer alive in Christ. One who is spiritually dead, one who is spiritually alienated, one who is spiritually separated from God because of their trespasses and sins is forgiven, reconciled to God and made spiritually alive and forever joined to him. It must have been something to see Jesus stand before the grave of old Lazarus. Lazarus, after he had been dead. He's been in the grave four days. Even his sister says, he stinketh. <laughs> you remember that in the Bible? Lord, I don't think we ought to move that, that stone from the tomb. You know, he stinketh by now. You know, it must have been something to see Jesus stand before that tomb and say those words, Lazarus, come forth. And it's a good thing he says Lazarus. Because if he had simply said, come forth, all the dead would have been raised. But he was specific. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, and I love Mark Lowry. Y'all know Mark Lowry, the Christian comedian? I love how he pictures Lazarus coming out of the grave. He's got all those grave clothes wrapped around him, you know. And Lazarus comes hopping out. (laughs) And the Lord says, take all that stinking stuff off of him. Dramatic thing to say. You know what is more dramatic? When you gave your life to Christ by the power of God, by his rich mercy, his great love, his marvelous grace, he said to you in your lostness and in your spiritual grave, come forth. And he made you alive. That's what it means to be saved, to be made alive in Christ. Literally, he brought us out of spiritual death to spiritual life. That's why only God can save. Because a church can't do that. Nobody can do that. No earthly power can do that. No earthly individual can do that. Only God can do that. He raised me from the dead. And he gave me life. Now for a person to lose their salvation... God's life-giving work in their life would have to be reversed and changed. And that will never happen. He raises us to life when you give your life to Christ. It's a dramatic thing to be saved. It's a dramatic thing to be born again. It's a dramatic thing to come alive in Christ. Not only that, not only does He give give us raises us from the dead. He raises us to a new kind of life. Not only are we made alive in Christ, we are raised up to live a new kind of life. 
Our new life is different from our old life. Our old life was dominated and controlled by sin and the flesh and fleshly desires. But our new life in Christ is different. Now we live in union and fellowship with Christ. We have a new purpose, and that is to live for the honor and glory of God. We don't live the old life. When you're saved, you don't live the old life. You have a new life now. When we come to Christ, we receive a new nature. We receive a new will. We receive a new mind, a new heart, a new power, a new knowledge, a new wisdom, a new perception, a new understanding, a new life. We have a new inheritance. We have a new relationship with God. We have a new righteousness. We have a new love. We have a new desire. We have a new citizenship. When you come to life in Christ, not only are you given life, but you're giving a new kind of life, a different kind of life. What is the greatest evidence that a person's been saved? The greatest evidence that a person has been saved is not that they've joined a church. There are multitudes of people who've joined the church who've never been born again. The evidence that a person has been saved is not the fact that you can jump three pews in a single bound. The evidence that you have been saved, the greatest evidence that you have been saved is the fact that you have a changed life. You're different because God has made you different because of what he's done in your life. You were dead, buried in trespasses and sins, slave to sin. You walked among the unsaved. That was your life. But now you've come to Christ. And he raises you to spiritual life. And he raises you to a different kind of life. A new kind of life. The psalmist says he's put a new song in my mouth. We're different. Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we who have been raised from spiritual death also should walk, listen, in the newness of life. We've got a new life. Man, before I was saved, I was a rascal. Before I was saved, I had all kinds of this, that, and the others in my life. But when I gave my life to Christ, he changed me. I didn't change me. I don't have the power to change me. But he changed me. And he gave me a new heart and a new mind and a new life. He brought me from spiritual death. He set me free from spiritual bondage. And he made me a new person with a new life. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. No longer do we walk according to the flesh, but the indwelling Holy Spirit empowers us to live a new kind of life. (laughs) We live for him. We live for his honor and for his glory. And so these are great verses. Paul paints that picture of how lost we are and hopeless we are and helpless we are. But God, but God, but God, when we come to Christ, God does his work of salvation and he makes us new people and he raises us to life. He gives us a new kind of life. And then Paul says he exalts us to be with Christ. 
Verse six, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. In other words, the end result of our salvation is that one day we're going to be exalted to live forever in heaven in fellowship with Christ and all the believers. And that truth is so certain that in verse six, Paul speaks as if it's already happened. See, that hasn't happened to me yet. I haven't been raised up to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That hasn't happened to me yet, but it is, and it will, and it is so certain that Paul in verse six writes it as if it's already happened. One day, because you're a Christian, you're gonna be raised up to be with the Lord in eternity. That's certain, and that's sure, and it's gonna happen. And it's so certain that Paul writes as if it's already happened. Isn't that something? Say, that'll, that'll preach. That'll preach. Man, I tell you, the bad news is every lost person is spiritually dead, a slave to sin, and an object of divine wrath. The good news is that God has provided a way that every lost person can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bad news, and that's the good news. Isn't that great? Ain't God good to save us like he does and to do his work in us like he does? Take old rascals like us, love us, care for us, redeem us, save us, and change us. And you know, as, as we'll see later in the book of Ephesians, you know what? You know what? Ephesians says that we are trophies of God's grace. You know, I I have at home in my office a trophy I won in a church basketball league in Thomaston, Georgia. I was the leading scorer in the church basketball league. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I was the leading scorer. I averaged more points per game than... Anybody else in the church basketball league, and they actually gave me a trophy for it. And I got a picture of me and the guy who gave me the trophy from the, from the newspaper. That's a trophy. That's about the only trophy I've ever won. <laughs> that's it. You know, that's a trophy. But you know what the Bible says? You are a trophy of God's grace. And what that means is this. God has a trophy case in heaven. And you're going to be in that trophy case. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to call the angels over here and say, come over here, I'm going to show you something. You see that guy, Chris Hall? Man, he was a wretch. He was awful. He was terrible. He was lost. But he came to me and I saved him. And he still ain't much. But he's a trophy of my grace. And for all eternity, we will be trophies of God's grace and mercy. And God will point out through all the ages how His grace changed us and made us new. Isn't that good? God is good.